Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Carly R. And today we are joined by our very special guest, Jake. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I enjoy y'all's, I enjoy y'all's podcast a lot. I, think I know, man. Yeah, yeah. You're one of our like dedicated uh, Patreon members, and we appreciate that, man. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, follow y'all on Twitter. See the questions you ask. It's good stuff. Thanks, man. Uh, where are you from, Jake? I'm from Macon, Georgia, little south of Atlanta. Now, what's the, because I, I was thinking the whole time, what's the relationship to like the Dukes of Hazard and Hazard County? <laughs> are, you, are you close to there? Are you really going to relate me to the Dukes of Hazard? I, I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's fair. I mean, it is one of the great TV shows of all time, but um, uh, Hazard County is up in North Georgia, up above Atlanta. We're south. Uh, okay. We're right in the middle of the state, dead in the middle of Georgia. Okay. And uh, when were you first introduced to recovery? Uh, I first went into recovery on 5-17-2018. All right. And uh, you have two separate recovery dates, and what are those? Uh, my alcohol clean date, I'm an alcoholic, and it was 2 mm-hmm. I gave it up for less that year, and then... Uh, my gambling date now is two twenty two twenty one. Nice, Carly. Have you ever like given up anything for Lent? And like, do you do you do you like give um, something for Lent? So I have not yet this year. Okay. Um, but that was my excuse when I first got clean, and people were wondering why I wasn't drinking. I was like, oh, I gave it up for Lent, oh. and just played it off as that way because it just was exactly. like Catholic loophole. Yeah. Exactly the reason I did it. That's, that's a sweet, exactly. that's a sweet segue into recovery. Way to cover your tracks. All right. Well, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to. Yeah. You there? Yeah. You don't have to uh, explain why you quit drinking. You just say I gave it up for lunch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty slick. But something else. I think it's another way. You know, step one and the twelve steps: mm-hmm. admitting and accepting. Admitting and accepting you're an alcoholic. I think it's a way to not accept that you're an alcoholic. I think it's a way to just mm-hmm. stop drinking instead of actually. Yeah, a little bit of a reservation. That you have a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's giving you a chance. It's giving you an out. I've got a few days left, you know, of this, and I, you know, if I want to, only gave it up for Lent. You know, I'm still going, but. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away. Feel free to ask any questions or anything during this. Uh, oh, yeah. Because it's, you know, um, that way also, I know you're there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. I started, uh, I, I grew up in a house with an alcoholic father. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, he was a functioning alcoholic. We went, we had a business and he did to work every morning and, and and didn't drink at work as far as I know but yeah. after every day he would go home and he would uh, you know he'd go to the bar he'd drink there and then he'd basically finish drinking um, until he passed out every night that was that oh, was my that's memories he- that's of healthy <laughs> yeah you that's, know, that's and, uh, functioning <laughs> it's, it's functioning for half a day I guess yeah um, you know, he did, uh, dad did make it to most of my, so I played a lot of sports and he would come to the mm-hmm. games and, and it would always be interesting of where, you know, I didn't know, I thought he just didn't like people, but what he would do is say like he was at a baseball game, he would be out in right field by himself out there. And instead of being around people, the reason he was doing that was because he had had a few drinks and didn't want people to realize it. And so he would mm-hmm. always separate himself from 
the other people. And, and it took me to get older to understand why I, I understand it now. Yeah. Um, well, I started drinking by stealing dad's alcohol. Mm-hmm. He would always have, uh, he'd always have a bottle either in his car, his golf bag, or both, or wherever, and I always knew the hiding places, and we would, mm-hmm. would always go and find it. It was, it was uh, uh, a blended Canadian whiskey called OFC. It was always a pint of, but, and I always thought it was like top of the line. It looked fancy, you know. Even like, <laughs> Bill Thompson could look fancy. No in, in Canadian a, in a whiskey is fucking fancy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that's what I kind of started doing early on, uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in that range. And, and, um, and I loved it. I mean, it was, it was what I wanted. It was, I liked the taste of it. I tried beer. I hated beer. Really? I didn't like wine. Yeah. I, beer tastes like horse piss to me. Mm. Um, even, even as at the depths of my alcoholism, I could never acquire a beer taste. Huh. I could acquire I could acquire a scotch taste. Ooh. I could acquire you're gin. A, you're a special kind of animal, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hard I'm a hard liquor guy, and uh, you know, so I never drank beer, which was always weird. I always had to have a bottle of liquor, and uh, and that is not a good thing actually. That you can't drink beers. It's yeah. not really good. It's you know, people are like, oh, that's good. You, you don't like beer? No, that means I'm gonna. Yeah. After the hard stuff. So, uh, um, let's see. In my high school days, I would always, we would, uh, we had liquor stores that we could go buy because uh, being a small, big town, people knew people and, mm-hmm. and they would let you get away with it. And uh, there was one right around the corner. We'd ride our bikes up to me and my neighbor would ride our bikes and go get as much alcohol as we wanted and get, you know, and go down to my basement and drink all night. And, you know, I never, got to me like it never the problems never got to me other than bad grades mm-hmm. uh like i never got in trouble uh in my high school days of, of drinking I never got caught with a dui at that time and so it never like i never had consequences mm-hmm. uh and it was what it was what it was expected at my house you know people drank yeah and um and so what are they gonna do what are they gonna say and so uh it escalated it started escalating in my college years i got uh, I went to college uh, first semester. I flunked out. Got a zero 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 grade point average. God real damn. hard to do. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Uh, I, I take pride in that zero zero zero. Honestly, um, those two people should be rewarded just as much, or well, just slightly less than the four because that's hard to do. Getting an absolute is. zero is difficult. It is. It is. Uh, it's it's called not going to class. Is what it is. That's but true. It's, uh, <laughs> Like I had even, I even filled volleyball, you know, and that was hard to do. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, uh, I started drinking a lot in, in uh, college. Somebody's dog is hungry. Yeah. We, um, we, we apologize to our listeners for the okay. loud dog. It's okay. Um, and, uh, and so instead of going back to school, my parents made me an uh, offer of, of coming to work for the family mm-hmm. or either get your grades up and uh they yeah. made me a, a big money offer and i took it it was I, I didn't like school i hated it and so i so i took that offer and then i started making money and that's where it all went downward I, um mm-hmm. i had i had ample money ample opportunity i was living out away from the home and uh 
that's when my gambling really escalated to, um, I would, uh, I'd start, I'd, you know, I had an illegal, in Georgia, gambling is illegal uh, yeah. across the board, and uh, we had illegal bookies, and, oh. uh, you know, I would, you know, if you go to the bar as much as I did, you would find those bookies, you know, they would be hanging out watching sports, or, so you were, or, a, uh, you were a sports better. That was my first choice, was, that was what got me introduced into gambling, was, uh, was sports. Okay. Um, uh, go back a little bit, which is very interesting. My senior year high school essay, uh, you get to pick what you want to write about and uh, the topic. And I chose compulsive gambling. This was, oh. I'm 47 now. This was when I was 18 years old. I mean, gambling wasn't a thing. You know, compulsive gambling wasn't even recognized back then. No. Very much. And I chose that. I mean, with hindsight now, seeing that I went to the program. 30 years later, it's really ironic. But um, yeah. so I was all around gambling at the time too, you know, back in those days. And um, I knew bookmakers, I knew the guys, I uh, became friends with a lot of them. And so I had them at my back of the car. I could make a phone call any day and put a bet on anything. And I'm making enough money where if I couldn't pay it at the time, they didn't care. They wouldn't run a tab. Yeah. And, uh, and I could, you know, they knew I was good for it. And if I wasn't good for it, my family would probably take care of it. That's what they knew, and, and that's what ended up having happened a few times. Um, so, my twins, I bought a house, uh, started gambling heavily, drinking every night. Uh, got my first DUI uh, at 20, at age 20. Mm. Um, got out of it because of uh, family family people know everybody in you know in the town so they made phone calls they made phone calls and got it dropped to a reckless driving so i didn't have to you know i didn't have to lose my driver's license i didn't have a dui on the record so it really never happened in my, in my mind yeah and so uh so it didn't slow me down there was no uh no consequences so mm-hmm. uh about two years into owning my first house I, my gambling debts and alcoholism uh caused me to get real behind on bills. Uh, I didn't realize it. And one day the, uh, my parents are reading the Saturday paper and there's my name under foreclosures. My house is under foreclosure strictly for. They put that in the newspaper? They, do. they have to, they have to run it three weeks in a row if your house is under foreclosure. Um, Holy shit. That way, because it says it's to be auctioned off at the courthouse steps. Uh-huh. It gives notice oh, yeah. to so so they found it in there and they helped me get it out um it's a kind of a recurring you know thing that they, they would help me and mm-hmm. so, so they bailed me out there again and uh saved my house and i kind of slowed down for a little while uh, especially on the gambling side and, and got my shit together for a little while and then uh i was doing really well i was uh yeah i was still going out and drinking and partying but i was I was paying my bills. I was making good money. I was starting to run the family business and making, you know, I was doing well. And um, I met my my wife, ex-wife now. I met her when I was 27. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we got married. And she was a partier. She liked to have fun. She liked to drink. She liked to go out. And, uh, and so she recognized the fact that I was an alcoholic. She probably had an idea that I was a party guy, but she didn't realize I was an alcoholic. She knew mm-hmm. my dad was, and she knew the issues there. But uh, I was fun. I was a happy drunk. I was I was never mean to people. I never fought. 
I was just, I was that guy that wanted to have a blast. Were you, were you a happy drunk, Carly? Mm. I feel like like you were half and half. Like yeah. you, you were fun up to you crossed the line, and then you were not fun anymore. I was fun <laughs> until somebody else crossed the line. Oh, okay. And then I would get angry and... Yeah, I wouldn't want to see... I, I've seen you angry regular. I don't want to see angry drunk, Carly. That'd be terrible. Okay, so anyway, back so, to you. So, uh, so uh, we, we were engaged to get married, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't slow down going out. I would always go to work. I did what Dad did. I'd go to work, Yeah. and then I'd meet some guys out for drinks, and thinking that that's what you do, you know? And so sometimes those those days would go from five to six for a happy hour to five to 11, 12 at night. And mm. next thing you know, she's driving up to find me and get me home. And, and it just was an ugly situation. There was one instance that uh, this is one of my crazy stories. There's numerous of them, but I was walking out of a bar, couldn't hardly see walking in my car, like I'm gonna drive. But, um, all of a sudden, a nine millimeter gets put in my head, right at my car. Oh shit! And it's a it's a Vietnamese lady who didn't speak good English, and she put a gun in my head and made me get in the car, and she wanted me to go kill her boyfriend for her. What the uh, hell? Yeah. Uh, so we went on a joyride down the road, like for about forty five minutes, and she's screaming and cussing at me and holding a gun at my head and. And uh, I didn't, you know, sobers you up real quick. And it's one yeah. day, one time I'm praying that cops would pull us over. You know, yeah. one time I'm wanting it to, to, to for them to pull me over. And, yeah, and you, anyway. could probably, you could probably get out of that DUI too. Be like, yeah, I, so I, I didn't want to drive, sir. She made me. Right. And she's got a nine millimeter in my head. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we get off at an exit on the interstate and, and uh happens to be a red light. And it, so we, slowing down at it and I open the door and I jump and I run as fast as I could and uh because I didn't see any other way to get it out of it yeah and, uh, and so I ran and there happened to be there was a gas station well, you know how there's always gas stations that exit ramps on interstates mm-hmm. yeah. I ran as fast as I could inside that gas station and ran in and screamed and ran out of the gas station and enjoyed where it was, those woods back behind the gas station, and I'm back there hiding. I can only imagine, you know? like, a gas station attendant, whether or not to take you seriously. Like, can get anybody to take me seriously yeah. in that story is, uh, but the good thing that I had going for me was they had video. Okay. Nobody believed me. Cops didn't believe me. Uh, the lady in the gas station, my parents, my brother, my future wife, nobody believed me until they saw the video because the lady came in where you gonna go and looking for me? And, looking for uh, wait for you specifically? Yeah, where did he go? Like you could hear her saying, "Where would he go? Where would he go?" Like oh, that. And wait, she came into the gas station looking for you. Yes, oh. yes, into the gas station looking for me after I ran. Anyway, and um, you know everybody thought this was me trying to mess with a woman and all that, but they saw it on video and they ended up catching her. And it was just one of those days of being a drunk and, and putting myself in a bad situation and uh didn't slow me down though didn't stop me you know yeah. should have but but it didn't um let's see uh, well, well at so, that point your life is pre-disastered what are the odds that's ever going to happen again <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> just keep going this isn't gonna ever happen again <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's you know it's one of jake's stories it's kind of what it is yeah and, uh, there's there's a lot of other ones but that's one oh, of the yeah. good ones um 
so we ended up getting married. We had a huge wedding. It was it was a great wedding, and and the you know early on part of the marriage was great. We were happy. We were making a lot of money. She came from a wealthy family. I felt you know I found it. You know, and mm-hmm. we had and uh, we had a, our first child uh, about a year and a half in, and uh, it was you know that. So one of my joys, I have a daughter, I have two daughters, but that was my first one, and um, and I settled down. I was going to be the the husband and the dad and, and the businessman, and I was going to be that that perfect guy everybody thought I was. And and um, you know, that just when you when you're an alcoholic, that just doesn't last long. And um, that itch to stop at a bar on the way home from work after a stressful day would come back, and those days would lead to, to you know problems and issues that happen and so uh you know what we thought was my issue was i'm in i got to get away from my hometown i got to get away from everybody mm-hmm. so we moved we moved towns we moved to her hometown which was about an hour and a half south of macon and uh we moved down there and i opened up a restaurant down there and um and that's where my gambling really uh escalated um I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any, like, I, I just didn't, I wasn't happy. I didn't have friends. I didn't know anything to do. So, um, so first things I did was I, I went to a local bar. I found a good watering hole mm-hmm. and I found a bookie and I found a local bookie mm-hmm. and I became friends with him. And so I could bet anything I wanted to, and I could drink as much as I wanted to. And then, uh, I had as much income as I needed because I had the biz- I owned the business now. It's mine, so I could oh. use all that money for whatever I wanted to, and that's what I did. I, yeah, I get you know I drank and I gambled away, uh, got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, money uh, starting a business, and uh, we had uh, we thought a second child would uh, help, you know, would would uh, help our marriage, and, and it would make me be you know a better guy so we had another kid another daughter and uh about a month before my second child was born i had to shut the business down so mm. going into having two kids with now was that was job, that a result of your gambling yes i gambled every bit of uh payroll taxes uh wow everything i gambled it all away it was back when uh, i don't know if y'all not much about gambling, but if you remember when Chris Moneymaker won the uh, World Series of Poker, he was an online gambler. He did it through Party Poker. It okay. was, a, it was a website called Party Poker, and he he, he advanced through tournaments online. It had never been done before, and it was new, and so he advanced through that, and he, uh, and he won. So what did I do? I thought I was as good as him, so I joined Party Poker, and that's, I mean, it was... Yeah, it was so easy to put your credit card or put your debit card on that site mm-hmm. and put as much money. I mean, just all it was was a click of a button, and you could sit in your office and you could play live blackjack, live hold 'em poker, whatever you wanted. You could do it right there, at the, huh. you know, in my office. And that's yeah. what I did instead. Yeah, so I gambled it all away, and uh, and we had our second child. I had no job. I'd let the insurance lapse. At the time, so we ended up owing the hospital a ton of money because oh, yeah. insurance didn't cover the child after it was birth. It covered her, but it would not cover the after uh, the child in the hospital. So yeah. uh, 
so that's kind of where our where everything came to light with her um she started doing some research and we started uh going to marriage counseling and things came out about me gambling and then uh infidelity i started uh being uh, a really bad husband i mm. uh, started talking to other women um I was just miserable. I was depressed. I was just a, you know, I was just a bad person. Yeah. And so, uh, so we get divorced and I have to move back home and I move back home and, uh, I come knocking on the door of my parents' house. It's a humbling experience when you ask mom and dad to come move back in with you, you mm-hmm. know, can I, can I live in the downstairs and I'm a, you know, 34, 35 year old guy living in the basement of my parents' house mm-hmm. and, uh, they brought me in and hired me. Uh, I came back to work for the family. It, wasn't, it was just kind of expected. Um, and so I came back to work at the restaurant here and uh, and started piecing my life back together. Um, but at this time, I had no I had no uh, recourse at home because there was nobody to answer to. I was, yeah. you know, I was divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids lived two hours away. I didn't have to worry about them. And I just partied, man. I, I went running through women. I was drinking. I got three DUIs in four weeks. Ooh. Yeah. Um, uh, and you'll figure out about those in a few, couple minutes. But, uh, you know, I thought that I could get away with anything. I knew everybody. I knew all the police. Police would come in and eat at the restaurant. I knew them all. They weren't going to actually lock me up, you know? Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. And so... Um, and so after the third DUI, I started thinking that I had a problem, you know, <laughs> it hit, me. It hit me, I might have a problem here. And, and, uh, you know, I always thought that going into AA or going in, you know, was weak. Uh, only people that aren't strong, uh, go to those programs. And that was my, that was, you know, I was, I was better than that. And, uh, so what did I do? I gave up alcohol for them. And, um, and I did it, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, it was, it was pretty hard, but what I would do is I would go to work and I'd go home. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't leave the house. I would go to work and I'd go home. It was basically a detox by myself. It was like going into a, a detox facility, but I just did it at home. And, uh, the whole time I had gambling yeah. to, to fall back on and it, and it was, Readily available on my telephone or computer. I could I could get on any site, bet on any sporting event in the world. I could get I could play live poker, live blackjack. So that's what I did. I, instead of drinking, I, I just laid into the gambling heavy. Um, mm. All the while, I'm driving around with a a license that I don't know if it's good or bad or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've got three DUIs pending over my head, and uh, and I'm not even worried about it. Like I, I don't do any. I don't go to court. I don't go to the, I don't show up to anything. Wow. And I'm just letting it go. And, and nobody ever said anything, you know, for four or five years, nobody said anything. Whoa. And, uh, so after a couple of years of not drinking, I, had, I thought I was good. I had it beat, you know, and, and I got back out in the dating scene and, and I met a girl, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, we started dating and, uh, Fast forward real quick. We're getting married in three weeks, so uh, you'll you'll see she stuck with me. But the first thing I found out about her, she, she was in AA. 
she was clean and sober and been in AA probably at the time. Eight, I think she was 17 years sober. Wow. 18. Yeah. And uh, she had a strong program. But what was so just different about her was how honest she was about everything. Like, it was like the first thing she told me after going out on a couple of dates is everything she had done in the past and all this stuff. And I had never had anybody talk like that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm an addict who hides everything, you know, nobody's yeah. going to know my deepest, deepest darkest secrets. But there she is. She's laying everything out on the line. And the whole time she's asking me if I've done any of this. And I tell her these crazy drunk stories thinking they were funny and those kind of things. But I wouldn't tell her that the deep dark secrets that, that uh, I had and, and I just couldn't, I was, you know, I, I didn't want her to know. And, and what I've learned is, is that's what the program has taught her is to, is to be open and honest about everything. Mm-hmm. And I went and, uh, and we were dating. It had been about a year and a half and I'm driving down the road and I bought uh, into somebody, just a little fender bender, didn't do any work damage, and uh-huh. I'm begging the person not to call the police because I know back in the back of my head I'm probably driving on a suspended license, uh-huh. you know. And uh, and they're like, no, we need to uh, we need to call the police in case something's wrong, and they did, and they ran my name, and and the next thing you know, I'm in handcuffs and going to jail. Yeah, uh, they have a warrant for my arrest, and and I go in and. Um, Thinking I was going to get right back out just because of my name, who I was, and, mm-hmm. and who I knew, and uh, and I went in and uh, went in front of a judge the next morning, and he put me in for thirty days, locked me up for thirty days, mm-hmm. and um, and in that time while I was in there, um, she Christy had access to my iPad, she had access to my phone, she had access to my bank accounts and everything, and she saw and she did research and she saw the destruction of gambling had done to me and how bad it was. I mean, it was thirty, forty thousand dollars in three months, you know, that I was that I was gambling away. I mean, I you know, and um she saw where I had avoided going to see my kids because I couldn't afford to do this or that. And I was doing telling lying to my kids about why I couldn't go. And mm-hmm. she just found out all the lies. Yeah. And and, you know, we're in there and we're talking on the phone a couple of times and she would Say so the only way you're coming back home is you go into a 12-step program, and I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm adamantly against it still, and, and that was early on while I was there, and towards the end, I finally broke down and and, uh, and said, I'll do whatever it takes, mm-hmm. I'll do whatever it takes to stay in this, and so the day I got out was 5-17-2018, and I walked, uh, she found a Cambridge Anonymous program. Because I didn't want to go somewhere where she was, like in AA, and, yeah. and have to talk, you know, the two of you. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. And so I went in, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, I heard stories at a, at a at a new member meeting in, in GA. Everybody in the room, there's only three or four or five people there. It's a real small community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and everybody tells a part of their story, that first meeting, and they... And they all tell, you know, something about them. And you're hearing, I'm hearing in there everything I've done. And I've never heard anybody talk like that, you know, that they've done what I've done. I, I never thought anybody else was like me, you know, that had this bad of issues and these dark, darkest secrets. And, and I'm just, all of a sudden, I, tears just start running down my face. And, and one of the guys in there, he looks at me and goes, what's wrong? And I said, you know, I, I'm wrong. 
lost. I, I need help. And yeah. he goes, that's the first thing you've said right that you've been in here. And, uh, and so I opened up and told him a lot of stuff what happened. And, and that day changed my life. And that day uh, brought me, you know, brought me to my knees and asked for forgiveness and, and uh, started opening up. Now, I'm not a, uh, I'm still not an open book like Christy is. So she's got 22 years sober now. And uh, well, I'm not near. I'm, her. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm not near on her level of openness and and uh, the honesty thing. I still uh, lie by omission. I think is my big one that I do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we we fight about that all that all the time. But I don't tell you something. Is that really a lie? You know, and, and uh, I say no. <laughs> of course I do. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm working on it. You know, I've mm-hmm. started the twelve steps again. Um, I firmly believe in the program. Uh, I know that sounds cultish, but I firmly believe in 12 steps of recovery. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I can't drink and I can't gamble. If I do, destruction is going to happen. My, uh, my life's a lot better. Like I said, we, we bought a house about in November together. Uh, we got engaged a little over a year ago. We're getting married. Uh, three weeks uh my kids and i's relationship is amazing now they call me up uh i used to be a facebook dad i would pick, pick, put pictures up on facebook and mm-hmm. talk about me and them being together and how great it was but that was last you know mm-hmm. it was just pictures my ex-wife would take and send me and i would put them up like they were with me and and want people to see how great of a dad i was but that wasn't true now now it's true now they call me with problems with boys and they call me and if they need some money, it actually I can actually give them some money and take care of them, and I could, uh, you know, I'm there for more emotionally than I am monetarily the way I used to be, and uh, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and uh, just you know, I had a relapse on gambling uh, a little over a year ago. I I had started up uh, in in Georgia. We have a couple. Of, it's called the South Georgia Group. There's three meetings, and and everything went. You know, dark for a while with COVID, and, and yeah. I created, I created a, a Georgia Zoom group for Gamers Anonymous, and I got it going on the, you know, online, and and we were having so many people in there, and my head was just getting bigger and bigger, ego, and uh, mm. and it, it turned into how many people I could get in the groups, and how many people I could be, you know, sponsoring, and all this, and it was never, you know, I lost the recovery aspect of it, and yeah. I was just wanting to be the big guy in the group, you know, and. I was the most important person in this group of that, you know, and, and I just, I just said, fuck it. And, uh, and got online and, and gambled for about three months and I would go back in the rooms and I would lie about my date and I would tell mm-hmm. them my clean date was five seventeen two thousand eighteen. And finally I broke and Christy found out and I told her and she said, you got to go in that room and change your date and tell everybody. And so we had a meeting and, uh, I came clean and let everybody ask me questions and it was a powerful meeting and it, uh, and it got me back on the right track. And now I'm, uh, I feel like I'm doing it for the right reasons now. And so, um, that's about it. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but I, you know, that's, that's where I am right now and I'm hoping to continue on. Awesome. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations on your upcoming wedding. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, and definitely uh, give your fiance, future wife, uh, our congratulations because what you said, twenty two years. I can get her to come on one day. Absolutely, yeah, man. Yeah, we'll yeah. definitely have a have her on. 
Um, well, we definitely have some questions for you. Um, Please do. I guess I will start. As you always do. As I always do. All right. Um, I want to start with a fun question. Since you okay. are, since you are a uh, Southern gentleman, born and raised, yes. and we are Yankees to the layman, <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you find weird about Northerners, people people up north? Um, to me, they're not as nice. That's true. Hundred percent agree. That's hundred percent true. <laughs> I don't know if that's weird or what, but no, it's just totally true. Why is it? I don't understand why people are so angry. I don't get I don't, it either. I don't. I don't get it either. But yeah, every I mean, time. Every, why is it so bad up there that you've got to be pissed off? I don't know. I think maybe the weather has something to do with it. Like we have harsher winters, and I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, southern hospitality is a real thing, and northern aggression is also a real thing. <laughs> it's I, terrible. I, I don't get it. But yeah, and the more north you go, the worse it gets. You go up to New York, people are just they'll just step on you and just keep walking. Yeah. Seems that way. It's very weird. All right. So, well, not so fun question. Very real question. <laughs> I guess. I didn't answer in a fun way, did I? No, it's fine. I, no, it's it's totally true. Like, it is just a weird thing about, like, the Northeast. We are just angry people. Yeah. It's more stress, faster life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that. I don't know. I'm not going to make it. excuses. There is no excuse to be rude. No excuse for to be rude. No, no excuse to be rude. Everybody in the Northeast listening, <laughs> let's let's do better because yeah. so, the Southern people are putting us to shame with their hospitality. Okay, so um, real question. So yeah. in Gambling Anonymous, <clears throat> is it basically like is it similar to like drugs and alcohol, where it's a like a strict abstinence based program? Or is there like is there a moderation? Like if you just went and bought out bought a lottery ticket, is that is that gambling? Um, is that a relapse? Yes. Like I gamblers, uh, all right, I'll read you the definition of gambling. Okay. Gamblers Perfect. Any betting or wagering for self or others, whether for money or not, no matter how slight or insignificant, where the outcome is uncertain or depends upon chance or skill, constitutes gambling. Mm. Hmm. Okay. So basically, anything you do, flip of a coin, uh, lottery, bingo, uh, anything uh, that end is considered by GA gamblers anonymous. Now it's kind of like any other program. Uh, I mean, it's your program, so you make you know you make your rules. But mm-hmm. uh, but if you you know if you ask somebody that's pretty staunch in GA, they'll uh, they'll be pretty strict with it. Uh, there's a guy in my program who basically says if you got to think about it. Then it's probably gambling. Mm, interesting. You know, yeah. Now, like, I, I want to like pick that a little bit because I I have no experience with it. Like, I obviously like I've gambled every once in a while, but like it's never been like a real issue. It's never been unmanageable. So, is it is it similar in Gamblers Anonymous? Like, do you, do you ever deal with people who? are not necessarily like full-blown gambling addicts and they just dabble and they can keep it manageable? Yeah. Yes, I have dealt with that. Uh, there's a there's a list of 20 questions GA asks and um, and it's all this, does this cause you to gamble? You know, and, and it's a, kind of an assessment test type thing and, okay. and it says if, if you answer seven of these 20 questions then you probably have a gambling problem. Hmm. 
you, I mean, it's, you know, only you can make that decision. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but generally speaking, yeah. Uh, at some point in time, like, we had a meeting about this the other day, you know, and I, and I shared, I think that, like, you know, if you play fantasy football or whatever, you know, I think I could be okay doing that uh, right now for mm-hmm. a while till I'm not. Yeah. That, uh, at some point in time, it's going to, you know, a big win or, or something's going to trigger me to all of a sudden going all in again. You know, um, mm. I'm an addict, so yeah. I only know what about me. Uh, I go, you know, I believe in the old adage, if you're not going to go all out, don't go out at all. You know, what's the point of going to have a beer when you have, you know, a bottle of beer? I drank to get drunk. I didn't, you know, I gambled to win a lot of money. I didn't gamble just to, you know, hmm. just right. for the fun of it. All right. So. Great answer. All right, Carly, what do you got? Um, all right. So you mentioned that your um, fiance was the one that kind of um, caught you in the lie about your relapse. So how difficult was it to get honest after that relapse? Uh, it was one of the hardest things to to do was to get in that room and admit that I relapsed and lied. I don't think the admitting I relapsed was as hard as admitting I lied about it for the whole time, you know, for mm-hmm. three months and meetings. Um, I felt like I was kind of a leader in the, in the meetings and, and uh, I was, you know, I was sponsoring six people at the time in GA and, and, and I, I let them down and that's way too much. I mean, they just weren't a lot of, and uh, so you know, I lost a lot of those. They left, you know. They they, mm-hmm. they check out of the program or they check out of me, and, and uh, wow. And so yeah, it was you know it, it wasn't easy. Yeah, it's one of the harder harder things. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, I want to talk about uh, sort of. Um, Really, like the transition from addiction to recovery. Like when we're in addiction, we're just like you said, your ex-wife was a party or two. So we really, we have a culture in our lives that we're, we're surrounded by people who are doing the same things that we're doing. So yeah. when we're coming into recovery, we sort of have to do that same thing. We have to change our own culture and put ourselves around people who are doing what we, we want to accomplish in recovery. So how how difficult is that in out, dealing with your alcoholism and your gambling of really changing your surroundings of people who are in the thick of addiction to now in the thick of recovery? Um, you know, you lose a lot of friends. I'm sure you all know, um, or a lot of so-called friends from it. Um, There's, I probably have one or two friends from my past that I've still talked to and that that's, that understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nowadays, my friends come from GA or from uh, from her program. She goes to AA mm-hmm. all the time, and and you know I associate with a lot of those people because I relate. And so I would say, you know, I, I hang out with them, and I lost a lot of friends through it. 
uh, I had to cut it off. I can't be around it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it says in uh, Gamblers Anonymous, they're a big book, but it's a 17-page pamphlet. It says, don't go in or near, near gambling establishments. Don't associate with people who gamble. Don't gamble for anything. And, you know, that don't associate with people who gamble, that kind of cuts you off right there. So Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right, Carly. All right. Um, so you mentioned how with the pandemic, like starting – the group kind of got to your head a little bit, but has that, has the social media benefited your recovery in any way since you're from a small area? Yeah. Um, the Zoom meetings and the Facebook groups and, and all, uh, that's my, yeah, that's my family now. Uh, we, we haven't gone back to in-person meetings yet. We're strictly still doing Zoom and um, I couldn't um We've got people from all over the world now. We probably have a 25, 26 people on a regular basis in our meetings, and probably three of them are from Georgia. Oh, nice. Three or four of them are from Georgia. The others are from all over the country. we got a couple from England, a couple from Ireland. Awesome. And, uh, and it's just it's amazing. Where, you know, these people I wouldn't have ever met. And, um, you know, a few of them are coming to my wedding, which is amazing. That's awesome. And, uh, and just the... You know, the resources it gives people, like I could, you know, I could send people a literature via email or, or text nowadays that wasn't there when I came into the program. You had to be in person and get a hand, you know, give it to you by hand, you know, text messaging phone lists to people and they can call people anywhere in the country, WhatsApp groups that we've created, you know, we got a 10 step WhatsApp group where people talk about stuff every day, you know, their resentments are there, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that's how my head got big. I create, you know, I took, I don't know, I get creative with things and I took it and I I ran with it and everybody thought, you know, I I just like, you know, I'm cocky. I'm I'm an egotistical addict and, uh, and that's what got, that's what got me. So I have to check myself a lot of times. All right. Um, all right. My last question is, um, how did like in your story, the lack of consequences and like having your parents like bail you out of situations, how did that really, uh, fuel your addiction? Um, and, and really just, just further your problems and make everything worse through, uh, just having people enable your alcoholism and your gambling. Um, I mean, it, I don't know fully that I think, you know, I think I'm an addict, born addict. Uh, I kind of believe that I had a, a gene. I mean, my grandfather was probably had it. My, mm-hmm. uh, my dad, I know was a compulsive gambler and alcoholic untreated. And, uh, but just getting away with everything and thinking you're, uh, you know, you're unbreakable, you know, that, that nobody, you know, Having a, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing living in a town where you know everybody. Yeah. Uh, you get away with whatever you want, you know, but it also has its good things, you know. Each, you know, if you need something, you can make a phone call and get it done, but it, it sure taught me that I could get away with whatever until I came. And, uh, and if I if I never got caught at that time, I still would be, I would, I would probably be back drinking. Uh, mm. And then 
Oh, I know I would still be gambling. So, All right. um, so that fueled it a lot. Mm. All right. You got any more questions, Carly? Nope. We're good. All right, Jake. Well, I think you were off the hot seat, and we would, we would like can to. I leave you one note? Oh, can absolutely. I, can I leave? Can I tell a little story? I think you probably heard this, but I always tell it whenever I share in a, a GA meeting. Um, so one time, uh, it's kind of hypothetical, but mm -hmm. so one time I'm walking down the road and I fall into a, a hole in the sidewalk and I'm stuck and I can't mm -hmm. get out. I can't get out of that hole. And about that time, a priest walks by and uh, I said, priest, can you help me out? Yeah. And, you know, throws me a couple of Hail Marys and says a prayer and, and keeps on walking. I'm still stuck. About, you know, 30 minutes later, a doctor walks by and I said, doc, help me out. I can't get out. Doc writes me a couple of scripts, you know, and uh, throws them down, and that doesn't do me any good. I'm still stuck in the hole. Mm -hmm. Thirty minutes later, a guy from my meeting walks by, Ray. He walks by, and he, uh, he looks down, and he says, you okay? I said, no, I'm stuck down here, and I can't get out. And he, instead of helping me, he jumps down in the hole. And I said, what the hell did you do that for? We're both down here. And he goes, well, hell, I've been down here before, and I know the way out. Yeah, That's what, that's what these meetings and, and these programs are is it's a way out and if, if people are listening and, and they're they're lost and they're struggling yeah get into a meeting ask for help the hardest two words and i think i might have heard it on this podcast two of the hardest words ever to say is oh three words i need help yeah, yeah. and uh and that is so true and so uh it's just a, it's sad that uh people don't like to ask for help and, mm. and the help's there you just got us a good point. So, yep. And thank y'all for what y'all do. Y'all help a lot of people. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And that's actually one of my like favorite recovery, quote unquote, proverbs, I guess, because yes. it, it it's not like what somebody can do for you, like uh, religion or psychiatry or whatever. It's really just somebody who's exactly like you willing to get down in the hole. Uh, yeah with you exactly. and get in that foxhole and, and both of you fight your way out. And it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful uh, way of life recovery. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you all so much for what you do. Absolutely. We would like to thank you for uh, joining us today. Woo! All right. Yay! Absolutely. Uh, uh, hey, y'all didn't ask me one question. Oh, we did? Yeah, one thing y'all didn't ask me. Which one's harder to quit? Oh, Okay, what, what, which one was harder to quit? It's a question people always ask if they're dual addicts. Uh, mm -hmm. We ask this in GA, and it's uh, on probably 95% of people that we ask that are dual addicts, whether it's drugs and gambling or alcohol and gambling. Yeah. Gambling's always the harder one to quit. And, mm -hmm. and the reason behind that is it's so secretive. It's the yeah. invisible addiction. It's the one that you can sit next to somebody yep. on your phone and you can gamble. And nobody knows it. Mm -hmm. You don't smell it. You don't see it. There's not anything out there that, that shows that you're gambling. If they don't have access to your finances. Yeah. And, uh, and it's killing people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so. absolutely. And like on that, like that's the one, that's one uh, analogous thing I found with like drug addicts, gamblers and sex and like sex addicts. It's really hidden. Like it, it's, yes. it's always behind closed closed doors. When yeah. meanwhile, alcoholism is usually pretty out in the open. People see what you're doing, and like, and it's it's easier to tell and it's easier to spot. But it's those uh, exactly. Those It'd be pretty ones. weird 
if the sex was not behind closed doors and you were just doing it out in the open. <laughs> well, I'm sure like, that's a problem. It was like, too, oh my right? god, there's an issue here, and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, yeah, that, that's definitely an issue. That would be a bigger issue for sure. Like, dude, yeah. this is a fucking public bus, man. Put it away. <laughs> all, right. Okay. all right. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop now. That's- all right. All right. Well, here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. And real quick, we want to give Jake an opportunity, uh, if you're comfortable, letting people know where they can find you and uh, some of your uh, meetings or Zoom meetings or whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter. Venture underscore Jake uh, is my Twitter handle. Um, and I put, I post meetings on Reddit and Facebook groups of, uh, problem gambling or gamblers anonymous programs. I post meetings whenever, uh, we have, we have Monday night and Thursday night on Zoom at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Anybody's welcome. If they have a problem with gambling, we will, uh, we will take you. Awesome. Well, we are happy to get that out there and everybody, uh, all the listeners, Please go go check out Jake for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, keep listening to us on uh, obviously. And I'm... <laughs> redo. Let me rewind a little bit. Uh, you can find us on Google Play. You can find us on iTunes. You can find more more about us on podcastrecovery.com. Like, share, subscribe on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those good places, and help us keep the mics on. Join the podcast recovery family and. Uh, get to our Patreon, throw us a few shekels like our good friend uh, Jake here, and we appreciate it. Uh, but most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean. <laughs>